The most important podcast right now on the internet is Jim and Harry. It's Jim and Harry down the TV rabbit hole, and our Facebook page is Jim and Harry TV. That's it. Go there. You can see pictures. We got some pictures up there, don't we? How do, Jim? Yes, we do, <laughs> sir. We have uh, most recently Sonny Bono uh, as, right. as Deacon Dark on the Love Boat. And if you haven't yep. listened to the extravaganza yet, you really missed out. And so is that still available if people want to go back and listen to last oh, week's yeah. episode? Well, and I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, I've got more, or I've received more comments on our Love Boat Extravaganza episode than I've received on any broadcast we've done. People loved it, so I, I think we're on to something with the extravaganza. Didn't you tell me you got a call from Ted Lange, as a matter of fact? <laughs> no? Well, someone who claimed to be Ted Lange. I don't know. <laughs> How did you know? Did he point at you with the two fingers? No, and that was the thing. Had he been able to do that, I would have been able to go ahead and verify that it was him, but, you know. Right. He just said, hey, this is Ted Lange. Really enjoyed the broadcast, and that was it. So, you know, okay. in my mind, it was Ted Lange. Yeah, let's go with uh, it. I am going to uh, throw you a few curveballs on this episode because I'm going to go first, if that's okay with you, because my show I don't think has a lot of material, but it's one that has always intrigued me, and I definitely want to talk about it for a little bit. And then after I do my show, I, I've got a little new feature for us. So, uh -huh. so are you ready? I just want you to be on your toes. Well, let me ask you a question. Is this yeah. an attempt to squeeze me out of the program? <laughs> I know you already make more money than I do, but you know, if you want me out, just let me know. You don't have to do it like in front of all of the audience members. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of, uh, of the time that people get... It, it's not like you're Milo Hamilton doing the Cubs broadcast <laughs> in 1984, and Harry's just pushing you out of the booth. <laughs> what kind of... Nobody takes a day off just because they have leukemia, for crying out loud. Oh, you know, I've been in this business for 40 years, and I've never missed a day. Here's a guy who gets leukemia, and he thinks he can take a day off. Boy, oh boy. <laughs> Triple your pleasure. <laughs> All right, you, All right. you ready for my show? Because this is going to be, this one comes out of left field. All right, this let is me really have a it. crazy one. All right, it was on the air. My TV show was on the air from 1951. Oh. To 1982. Oh. 51 to 82. Oh, my God. And it hasn't been off the air since. Okay, I know what it is. Okay, tell me. No, I don't. I'm sorry. Hold okay. On. All right. I I'm, I no, I'm glad, no, I'm glad you don't because I'm going to give you an audio clue. All right? So, all right. So stand so by. Stand by. And, and I can actually play this one in its entirety or close to it because I know this one's in the public domain. So hang on. Stand by. Here comes the tuba. <clears throat> Here we go. Here's your audio clue. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. You got it, yes. <laughs> I knew you'd get it. <laughs> I yes. knew you'd get it. Uh, oh, that makes me so happy. This is going to be fun. <laughs> yeah, Lawrence. Yeah, go ahead. Lawrence Welk actually was on a local TV in, in California from 51 to 55. Then he was on ABC from 55 to 71. Then from 71 to 82, he was in first-run syndication. And of course, as you know, he's on PBS now. He hasn't been off the air since. So there you go. The Lawrence Welk Show. Oh, my God. Now, he was from California. Is that right? No, he was uh, from the Midwest. I want to say okay. like North Dakota. Hang on. I should probably. Uh... I'm from North Dakota. <laughs> um, let's see. I, yeah, he was, some, some, he was a Midwest. Yeah, uh, that's right. 
Uh, North Dakota, Strasburg, North Dakota. See, I was right. Um, right. But uh, but he is, and again, you're going to laugh at me because I've read his books. I read his. He had, <laughs> of course, you did. <laughs> he actually did. He did a good autobiography. Then he kind of rewrote the uh, the the first autobiography and did a second. It was you know, but it was one of those things. He like, went to the Steve Allen rewrite course. Exactly. The, it, but the but it, it's a wonderful story and wonderful, wonderful. No, no, wonderful, wonderful. <laughs> but here was this guy who had you know minimal musical ability, but mm-hmm. he loved music, and he actually had a band that toured the Midwest in like the the forties. They'd do like Milwaukee, Chicago, the Dakotas, Minnesota. They'd play polkas, you know. They played the champagne music, but he loved music so much. He'd play the accordion. He'd lead the band. But he was such a mediocre musician that one time they're on the road and the entire band actually quit on him. Really? And he's the accordion player, not just the baton-wielding conductor, right? Right. Yeah, he would play the accordion and and do the baton. But yeah, the entire band said, this sucks. We're all, every single guy. And it must have been like a 10-piece band, I think, even bigger than that. Oh, my God. But that didn't, go ahead. he, he, He reported this in his book? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Wow. But the thing is, it didn't discourage him. He said, no. He says, I know what I'm doing. And sure enough, uh, in 1951, I think it was KTLA, a local station, big local station out in California, they saw him and they said, well, what the hell? It's, it's 1951. We got television. We don't have any programming. Let's put the guy on the air. And then ABC picked him up in 55, and he stayed on the air till 71 and then syndication for another 10 years. I mean, it's, re- it's remarkable how long the guy stayed on the air. It is remarkable. And it was a weekly show, right? Yeah, weekly show. And, of course, for those that uh, haven't seen it or don't remember, it was basically just kind of like a a musical potpourri. Is that a good way to go ahead and describe it? I would say it was a musical potpourri, but it was kind of like it reminded me of Bozo Circus for Big Band or something like that. Like he had this audience all, I remember him kind of in the bleachers or something. Yep. And uh, he would have, like, the same acts every week. Like, he had Arthur Duncan, who was the tap dancer. And Bob- I'm so glad you mentioned that, Arthur Duncan. Your <laughs> memory is amazing. And I looked. I actually went. Oh, he, he was, and I'm not kidding you. I have looked. I went and did YouTube. I looked at everything. He was the only black guy who ever was on the show. Really? Well, like you said, it was 1950s. To, but you would think, I mean... Yeah, but anyway, I remember him. Yeah, and he was a damn good dancer. Oh, great! And then, of course, they were all dancers. There was Bobby and Sissy, right? Yes, uh, that was the couple. Yes. I think Bobby looked a little like Evil Knievel, kind of. I believe, for correct. Well, skinnier. I, yeah, I think that was it. Was that was in the seventies when everyone had the same hair and sideburns? You know. Right. Uh, and then there was Myron Florence. Yes. Who oh played my the, God! You know more than I do. <laughs> Well, he played the accordion, so Welk must have given up the ghost at some point. Uh, because I didn't Myron play the accordion? Am I or am I missing? No, you're, you are exactly that. right. And and the reason that and Lawrence would occasionally, you know, pick up the accordion to do a duet with Myron. But I oh, yeah. I don't know if he said this, but he said once Myron got in the band, he said, I realized, you know, because Myron was a virtuoso, he was great. He was? Oh, okay. He wasn't just like uh, Weird Al Yankovic. Or, well, what was Weird Al Yankovic's dad? An actual po- uh, polka? Uh, That's right. Yes, Frankie Yankovic. I think yeah. he was the polka I, king of whatever. Um, yeah, I might have been. No, that sausage king of Chicago. That's Ferris Bueller. Right. Yeah, so Myron was, yeah, he was. Oh, the real no, deal. he was great. And to this day, you go ahead and just Google Myron Florin, go to YouTube, 
And uh, whether he's doing the clarinet polka, the beer barrel polka, or even, you know, sometimes they do contemporary tunes, you know. He's great. He's really good. Oh, yeah. Strangers in the night. <laughs> it was not cool contemporary. It was like, you know, like well, elevator music kind and, of stuff. And, right? and, and you've hit the nail on the head. And, and again, you know more about the show than I do. But, <laughs> but it, it's, the, it's the classic example of the old showbiz phrase, will it play in Peoria? Because it was yeah. the most unhip show in the world. You know, I'm sure everybody in Los Angeles and New York, I mean, everyone made jokes about it. Even back in the 50s, you know, uh, Stan Freeberg did a parody record making fun of Lawrence Welk. And even on Saturday Night Live now, do you know they're still doing Lawrence Welk parodies? They are? No, I'm, I'm shocked because uh, there, most people don't know who Lawrence Welk is anybody under like 45 years I swear old. to God, it was about five years ago. It was Kristen Wiig, and um, oh, she, she does the comedy part of it, but they have like the four sisters, like the Lennon sisters, but Kristen Wiig plays the, the sister who's like ugly and bad teeth and can't sing, and she's got, she's got like a deformed, tiny little doll hands, and it's not the most hilarious skit in the world, but they've done it like three or four or five times over the years. They're still doing it, I think. All right. Well, I had never seen that, but you know what? I I'm fine with making fun of Lawrence Welk, but he must have had something, right? Like you said, the guy, 20 years. Sure, it's probably a lot of old people on Sunday night after because yep, that's right. when it was, right? Yep. Do I remember that correctly? Sunday night. Yeah. What the hell else are you gonna do except you know go to bed and hope there's not a well, hurricane? <laughs> or something like that? Well, and here's the thing. And I, my cousin Patty, and she's older than we are. And my aunt Sis, who's now 91 or 92, she actually put this up on Facebook a, a, a couple of months ago. She just took like 10 seconds of video and she said, look, here's me and my mom watching Lawrence Well, Of course, it's on PBS now. And they're both sitting there and they're both like, you know, tapping their foot and moving to the music. The fact is, God damn it, it may be corny. It may be dated, very dated, but the music was good. I mean, here. No, I'm You're sure about now, that. Granted, it was very white bread. Okay. And, and I actually know some of the guys who played in the Lawrence Welk Orchestra. Um, and they were all top musicians. Now, they weren't, you know, they weren't Miles mm -hmm. Davis. They weren't Wynton Marsalis. They weren't on the cutting edge, breaking new uh, barriers. Uh, they weren't Louis Armstrong in 1920. But they were all top shelf studio musicians. And you'd put a chart in front of them like the St. Louis Blues. Now, I don't care. You know, St. Louis Blues was written by uh, W.C. Handy back in whatever. It's still a good song. It's like the Stars and Stripes Forever. God damn it. It's still a good song. And so, yeah. All right. Well, no, I'll it is. Yeah. No, I mean, hey, I watched the show. I mean, I'm not researching this stuff. I knew yes. everybody's name. So, obviously, I'm, you're preaching to the choir here. But can I ask you a question? Please. Did he ever vary from the formula? I don't remember in all no. those years watching the show with my parents. God, may they rest in peace. They were right in the sweet spot of Lawrence Welk's audience. I never remember any variation, no guest stars. Nope. No, nope. I think I remember kid, a kid coming on once in a while or something like that. You know, like, oh, isn't he cute to let him dance? <laughs> Uh, but, uh, yeah, no groundbreaking of any kind. It was just a trot down. Yep. Here's the Bobby and the Sissy. Now here's Arthur Duncan. And let's listen to Myron Florin and the band. And then the big baton. And then they might have had, you know, the champagne waltz at the end. Well, did they have the audience dancing or something like that? 
I feel like you've been watch binged watch this for like <laughs> you're, you're exactly no they would they would they do like a, a waltz or something or a dancing tune and then yeah. they'd have they actually had a dance floor so then they'd cut and that, that's my favorite thing in the world <laughs> when they cut to the dance floor and everyone dancing you know it's a lot of bad hair pieces <laughs> oh, a, a lot of wide ties and big lapels you know but they're leisure all suits. leisure suits exactly and they're all I mean it's packed there's not a sp- let me call you sweetheart. I'm in love. You're exactly right. That's the type of stuff they do. <laughs> now, here, just to go ahead and, and and pile on that, because as I was Googling it, you know, I was going to YouTube, I, I found the show. It was a tribute to Illinois. Okay? that. <laughs> oh, sounds yeah, exciting. No, and, of course, if you're going to do a tribute to Illinois, you're going to feature uh, uh, musicians or singers or performers that were born in Illinois or songs about Illinois, of course. So, uh, so, and I'm, you know, actually, I watched that episode, and then I watched another one from 1979. Now, remember, 1979, well, you know what was going on musically in 1979. It was disco, pretty much, right? Is that when it was? Okay. Yeah, 78, 79. Now, yeah, and, right. and this was such a key to the Welk formula, because he would always strike while the iron was dead cold. He w- <laughs> so in 1979, these are the songs that they performed. And again, all great songs, but not really representative of 1979. They did Hello, Dolly, In the Mood by the Glenn Miller Orchestra. <laughs> and there it is, St. Louis Blues, uh, Somewhere Over the Rainbow. And now here's their contemporary. That's where they had like their youngest guy with the biggest sideburns come out. They bring him out. Oh, yeah. What was his name? I forget. The, 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 the cast kind of changed after three and four, you know. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'll edit that out. <laughs> but here was the big showstopper, if you will, for the young people. 1979, uh. they did, please release me, let me go. <laughs> oh, my God. Of course, that was by Robert Goulet, right? I think, didn't Engelbert do it too? Goulet, oh, you're right, Engelbert. Engelbert. Yeah, it was. Yeah, but by right. far, by far, who did the best version? Um, well, you're right, it was Engelbert. I think I just no, made a rubber no, 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 no. You're complete. I can't believe you're... Eddie Please Arnold. Remember. No, come on. You know who did the best version. Elvis. Yes, of without course. a doubt. Well, I mean, that goes without saying. If he sang it, that's the automatic number one top of the list. And you know Elvis was a lot like Welk. He would if you know if someone had a good song, you oh I'm going to do it. You know, and Welk, you know, Welk actually they released a lot of albums, but it's not like they ever did anything groundbreaking. They were just covering other people's hits for the most part. Um, that's pretty much it as far as uh, the Welk show goes. I just always thought it was fascinating that the only black guy was a tap dancer. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not not surprised. We've talked about that. The t- TV uh, was way behind the times, and uh, things things caught up now. But uh, uh, Duncan, man, he he could dance oh. dance up a storm. Arthur Duncan was great. I I I I think he's passed away, but he performed. I think up until up until he died. I think he made it into his 80s. I'll put that in the corrections. But and of course, they still have the Lawrence Welk Theater in Branson, Missouri. Did you know that? I did not know that. Now, Welk is dead, right? Oh, yeah. No, he died. Uh, well, I should have it down here, but he died a long time ago. Uh, but he, he Did he live? Did he die before or after Robert Young? He died in 1992. 1992. Okay. So, and when did Robert Young die? I'm sure that's in your memory bank. I'm not sure. I don't know why I'm connecting those two, but for some reason, I think they're about the same age. But uh, anyway, yeah, that, we'll look it up. You don't have to put that. That would have been a really good celebrity boxing match in the day. Robert Young against Lawrence <laughs> Welk. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, Welk has the advantage because he's got a weapon. Oh, so that's he, true. he take that baton and just poke him right in <laughs> the eye. That's a good point. All right. But uh, let me, let... Young had a hot cup of Sanka. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Right in the face. <laughs> Sanka. Why did they, did... <laughs> Is Sanka still around? You drink coffee. I don't. Yeah, really? My dad used to drink that. It's like instant <laughs> decaffeinated coffee. <laughs> of course. <laughs> he had the orange label yeah. on the cap. Yeah, I don't think it's still around. But uh, they, they do have Nescafe. I've tried that. It's just like regular <laughs> yeah. coffee, except it tastes like shit. <laughs> So. And that's that's their ad line. That's their tagline. <laughs> Just like regular coffee, but it tastes like shit. <laughs> yeah, but it's only eight eight cents a cup. So oh my you god! Go you might as well just drink plain water for God's sake, right? <laughs> that tastes a lot better. I'll tell you. That. I got to mention Pete Fountain. You remember Pete Fountain, the great clarinet player? I sure do. Okay, he, yes, he was on Welk from '57 to '59. He started with the Dukes of Dixieland, the group that I'm affiliated with down here in New Orleans, um, oh, with Frank yeah. and Freddie Asunto. Uh, played with them for about five, six years. Uh, then he left the the Dukes and he jumped on with Welk for a couple of years, and he became super famous. I mean, uh, well, that's why we know his name. Yeah, Huge. Yeah. yeah, I know him. Yeah, he's like he's like a folk. folk. He's not a singer, but he's like a folk hero kind yeah, of a and, musician, right? Like and the, and the funny thing is, and people don't know this, and I, I shouldn't talk out of turn, but it's been said by other musicians, Pete Fountain knew about 40 tunes, and he could play in about three different keys, and that was it. I mean, he was very limited as far as his repertoire, but he had that great sound, and he could swing, uh, and the Welk show, you know, after he left Welk, he did all those albums. He was on The Tonight Show how many times? I want to say 60, 70, 80? I don't know. But... Uh, yeah, and yeah. And, wow. and as I look out the window here, I can see, well, almost see, what used to be his old, old club uh, at the top of the one, hotel, uh, one of the hotels here. He used to play right in, in the French Quarter. And, uh, oh, yeah, no, he, uh, because of Welk, he stayed famous until he died. He just died about two years ago, yeah. So, so there was some groundbreaking uh, activity from the Lawrence Welk show, other than the longevity. He sp- uh, sprouted the career of Pete Fountain. What? Well, but, you know, and again, it goes to show how, how Welk was always just kind of a step behind the times. In the 1950s is when New Orleans jazz, traditional jazz, Dixieland jazz, had its revival. It basically started in about 1950 with the Dukes of Dixieland, George Gerard, um, Al Hurt came a little bit later. But, you know, here it is, the late 50s, and Dixieland or New Orleans jazz starting to kind of, you know, the, the popularity is starting to wane a little bit. But then Welk signs Pete at the end of that, you know, revival. For, and, of course, you know, and it was, again, it all goes down to the music. It was great music. I mean, you had a great orchestra. You had Pete up there swinging. And to this day, you go to YouTube, type in Pete Fountain Lawrence Welk, and whatever you hear is going to be damn good, I promise you. I'm going to do a new segment now, if that's all right with you. Please do. Okay. Exciting. All right. This groundbreaking. We, we've talked about this. We've, we've hinted about this, and it's just it's going to be a very brief segment. It's called the funny scale. Okay. Mm-hmm. Ah, yes. Scale from one to ten. All right. One being the least funny, ten being the funniest. I'm just going to throw out some names, and you they rank on your funny scale. Are you ready? In my personal funny scale. Your personal correct? funny scale. And there's no, All right. there are no wrong answers here. I understand. All right. No, I am ready. Here we go. Chris Farley. Uh, 8.5. Really? I had him at a three. Wait. 
the higher you go, the funnier you are, right? Right. You right. had him at See, a three. Who's got Chris Farley at a three? I, tell but me I'll why. tell you why. Because I Googled him the other day, and the motivational speaker is hilarious. And do you know who wrote the motivational speaker? Bob Odenkirk did. Hey, very good. From yeah. Better Call Saul. Yeah. Right. Um, but, uh, but other than that, everything I saw really wasn't that funny. Okay. Already, let, okay. me, let me tell you. Yeah. This is like listening to music, okay? It's subjective. If you think it's funny, it's funny. If you don't think it's funny, it's not funny, no yes, matter what. you're right. It's totally subjective here. There's nobody can argue with you. There's no right or wrong answer, although if there was a wrong answer, this would probably be it. <laughs> okay, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reevaluate. <laughs> now I feel bad. I feel bad, especially because he's a Chicago guy and he's dead. So, yeah, um, that's okay. Wait, was, wait, was he a Chicago guy? I know he, uh, he was actually City from Chicago. Wisconsin, but that's he, right, Wisconsin. Yeah. yeah, right. So, okay, here we go. Uh, another fat guy, John Candy. Oh yes, I would say, mm-hmm. yeah, I would say eight point five, right on, right yeah. in the same sweet spot. Yeah, I, yeah, I had him. I had him at seven point five. Good. Um, yeah, I like he, how he, we're both yeah. using the decimal system for this, not just round <laughs> numbers. Actually, I had him at seven, but I added a point five because <laughs> okay. I felt seven was a little low. <laughs> All right. All right. Here's one from here's a name from from the past. Foster Brooks. <laughs> <laughs> OK, well, special category, I would say. I would say a five point two because he just barely tips the scale because he's a one trick pony. He tries to vary from that, and if I watch too many of his drunken slammy, slammy, snoopin', snoopy skits, they're all the same, right? So you can only see it in limited doses. Right. So I would, I give him, he's he's on the plus side, but barely. See, I had him in an eight because you're right. He is a one, <laughs> <laughs> he's a one trick pony, but it's such a good trick. I mean, yes, oh, it is. If if I'm in a bad mood, I just Google Foster Brooks, Dean Martin, and I watch the two oh, of them. Yeah. Oh God, that's funny. Oh. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. Another old school guy. Milton Berle. Okay. Oh, <laughs> very interesting that you'd say this. I'm going to give Uncle Milty a three, and I think that's generous. <laughs> I had him at a two. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you're a little tougher grader, but we're right in the same ballpark. I don't know what he had. Well, I know what he had going for him other than the sense of humor, but that shouldn't have translated into a lengthy career that he had. Hey, do, um, do you know that story? And I think I think I think I sent it to you in text. But between Forrest Tucker and Murrow, when they had the contest, yeah, they're both famous tripod actors, right? Is that basically it? No, yes, I never it, heard the story. Yeah. Okay, I, I think I think I sent it to you, but maybe you forgot it. Um, Foster Brooks in or, no, I'm sorry, a uh, Milton Berle, <laughs> Milton Berle and um, Forrest Tucker are in the same room, and Jackie Gleason decides to, to – they have a bet to see who had the, the larger apparatus. Yeah. And so, so Forrest Tucker displays his, and Milton Berle's getting ready to go, and Jackie Gleason, who was the instigator of the bet, says to Milton Berle, just pull out enough to win. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Ah, Gleason was a classic. Oh God, yeah. I, well, and, you know, if he, he's not on this list, but if he was, I'd have him like a nine point nine. Uh, oh yeah. Give me another one. I was going to say we should do honeymooners right, sometime, but uh, we'll talk about that in a post-production. Oh, we should. Meeting. Okay. All right. Here's one more. Carol Burnett. 
Whoo, boy, this is a toughie because I really like her. I know. Um, and I love the show. But is she super funny? I tell you what, here's what I'm going to say about Carol Burnett. I'm going to give her a four. I would have originally given her a seven, but I'm downgrading her because of Mama's family. That was yes. such an atrocious travesty that I think that she almost ruined her career. And uh, I think of that show when I think of her. So. And the funny thing is, she really didn't do much on Mama's Family. She did a couple of guest appearances. Of course, it started with the skit on the mm-hmm. Carol Burnett show, yeah. um, which, was, which was kind of funny only because you had Tim Conway in the sketch. And Tim Conway, you know, made it work. Hello, the- Mother Harper. <laughs> You're the deaf one, idiot. <laughs> See, he was the only funny one in that skit, as far as I was concerned. Yeah. Right. yeah but... That- uh, well, she was I had, responsible for it, so she's being downgraded. Yeah, I had her at a three, only okay. because Carol Burnett is on, uh, uh, I think it's on MeTV. And every time I see it now, I'm like, this isn't funny. No. I'm not laughing. You know, she was I held mean, up by Lyle Wagner. The whole time. Well, you know, and if you're a woman, you know, Lyle Wagner's a good guy to hold you up. Um, <laughs> how about, and here, here's one more contemporary, Norm MacDonald. Okay, yeah, Norm MacDonald. I'm going to give him a six. I think he's pretty funny. Yep. You know, not, not yeah. the world's funniest guy, and sometimes it lays flat, but overall, I'll watch Norm if I see him on TV pretty much any time. Yeah. yeah, I had him at uh, 7.5. I think he's clever, uh, but you're right. Sometimes he can, he can lay flat a little bit, but, uh, but no, I consider him funny, and if he's on TV, I definitely watch. So there we go. We were pretty much in the ballpark except for uh, Chris Farley. Good, good game. I like that. Let's do it again. All right. Yeah, no, that'll just be a little feature we throw in. And, again, I only did it because I didn't have a lot of information on the Welk Show. But now we're going to turn it over to you. I'm so excited to just sit back and hear what you've got for us. Harry, what show are you featuring this time? Uh, well, tell you what, Jim, um, I've got a very special episode for us this Uh-oh. time. Anytime you say uh, very special episode, I get yeah. a little nervous. I want to talk about the 1977 to 1981 ABC comedy drama, Eight is Enough, one of my favorite shows. And so this one starred Dick Van Patten, and uh, it featured wait, wait, hold on a second. eight kids. Can I, can I interrupt just hmm? for a second? Sure. Did, didn't, didn't you already do Eight is Enough like three, four weeks ago? <laughs> didn't we do? Yeah. Didn't we do yeah. I think we um, did Eight is Enough already. Didn't we, we did? I, th- I think you did, yeah. Because hmm. we talked about... Um, we did, Right. Well, oh, damn, that's right. Hold on a second. All right. I don't know if this Can is we a edit that out? Not, but it's hilarious. Okay. All right. Hang on. I think I got some other notes around here. Maybe I can do something else. Um, what's that? All right. All right. Here. Okay. Maybe edit that out, right? Oh, yeah. No, I'm embarrassed yeah, in front I'm of everybody. Okay. Yeah. All right. Here we go. How about. Um, wait a minute. Okay. All right. Uh, how about um, Quincy? Remember that show? Quincy. We'll do Quincy. Remember? With Jack right. Klugman? Right, no, that was good. He plays the right. medical examiner, right? Yes, yes. Okay, I'm going to take a deep breath because I, I think I got this now. Okay, I was thrown off a little bit. Sorry. That's embarrassing. Oh, boy. All right. You're the professional. Right. See, this is a difference between you and I. Okay, so, all right. Okay. Here we go. Quincy. Yes, it was just as good. It is enough. NBC... Uh, NBC, 19, here, oh, this is surprising, actually, okay? Uh, All right, yeah. Jim, come on, let's compose ourselves here, okay? Hey, don't go, <laughs> I'm ready. 1976 to 1983, the show was on. 
Did you wow, realize I'm, that that was on that long? No, I'm surprised, and that's great. It deserved a good run. Here's the deal. 148 episodes. Jack Klugman started doing the show the year after The Odd Couple ended. Um, and, you know, it was about, um, he plays a medical examiner, a coroner. Right. Yeah. He, you remember how it goes. It's pretty much a formulaic. Every episode, he, there's somebody dies, you know, got to gotta pretty much have right. that in order to get the episode started. Then he thinks that instead of natural causes or whatever happened, instead, I don't care what he said. He was murdered, and I'm going to prove it. It was the same thing every time. He would launch into his own investigations. Forget about the police evidence. Forget about what his boss might say. He was going to prove he was murdered. Yeah, right. right. And so they, the show started out as a 90-minute uh, sort of TV movie on a thing called the NBC Sunday Mystery Movie Rotation. Now, they didn't call it that. <clears throat> yes, yeah. I do remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'd have, they'd have like four or five different ones that would just rotate in every, every other week and stuff. All right. Well, you like to do quizzes, so why don't I put the, put the screws to you on this one? 1976, okay. there were, let's see, t t including Quincy, four shows that they rotated with these 90-minute movies. You see right. if you can get them, okay, All the right. other three. Uh, McMillan and Wife? Yes, starring John Shuck, of course. One of my uh, favorite actors. <laughs> I don't think he was the lead, but yes. Um, I think but, Rock Hudson was in there, too. Rock, yes, that's right. Rock Hudson, yes. And, uh, and who was his wife on that one? She was pretty good looking. Was it? I was it, it? I think it was a saint, like Susan St. James or Jill St. Yeah, Saint Susan St. James. Was that Susan St. Okay. James, okay. yeah, right. Jill St. John was married to Robert Wagner after... Um, Right. And still be, as a matter of fact. Yeah, I think you're right. Okay. And, and then there's yeah. Eva Marie Saint, who she married to. I don't know, but okay. uh, I know that when we, what, we did the Love Boat episode, right. they asked, on today's show, they asked Jill Whalen, who was your favorite guest star? And she said, Eva Marie Saint. And I thought, what? oh, no, Bernie Coppell said that. I thought oh. that was kind of weird. But anyway, yeah. Uh, anyway, go ahead. All right, That's so, called the uh, rabbit hole. We dart around. Okay. <laughs> this is, and uh, uh, let's see. Uh, okay. Eight is enough. Was that in the mystery? Uh, no, uh, that was not. No. no. Uh, uh, there was uh, Columbo. Was that still on? Columbo. That's number two. You got it. Bing, okay. bing, bing. And uh, what was it? Uh, McLeod? McLeod. Wow, you're good. Yes. Wow. Yes. Starring, of course, uh, former General Ben actor who? Uh, oh, God. Dennis Weaver. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. Remember yeah. his He's... boss on that show, that grizzled guy? McLeod, get in here. See, I, I barely, barely remember watching McLeod. You yeah, got to go good. Go to the well and watch a McLeod tonight. It'll make you happy. Dennis okay, Weaver, so, the cowboy. So did I get them all? Did I get all the shows? You got them all. So they started off, and then Quincy did so well that he got out of the rotation, and they gave it a 60-minute show. Okay, so what he does is, uh, you know, uh, Jack Klugman on the show, as I said, the whole plot is he figures out at the beginning, it was like a murder mystery whodunit, you know, right. murder she wrote kind of a thing, except with the corner. And it was loosely based on uh, Corner to the Stars. I forget the guy's name, but there's some guy out in L.A. that always is in the movies when some, you know, Hollywood star drops dead of an overdose or something I, like I that. I had no idea there was a corner to the stars. I mean, for there God. is. 
Yeah, I can't remember his name. It's like Dr. Robert Aki or something like that. But uh, anyway, uh, so Klugman, uh, yeah. you know, coming fresh off Oscar, Oscar Madison, he plays the corner. He lives on a sailboat down by the dock, and right. pretty much every, every episode would be they'd have uh, somebody dies. As I say, he gets, uh, you know, the body in there. Something doesn't seem right from yeah. the records. It says he died of... Uh, you know, heart attack, but no, what about this? And then he's got his assistant, Sam, that comes in, and he says, Sam, I, this doesn't look right to me. I don't know what happened. I think it was murder. And then the boss comes in and says, now, Quincy, we're not going to spend the time and resources to investigate. You have absolutely no basis to believe that. I don't care. I don't care. I look at that. I think so, you just picked your show so you can do the impressions <laughs> that you like to do. Because your Klugman's you know very good. Thanks. Well, you know what I was thinking about this particular impression? Uh, sometimes I like to do a, um, an amalgam or like a mix-em. Right. And I was thinking, you know, and sometimes a lot is left to fate. Jack Klugman got the role here as Quincy. But what if instead of Jack Klugman, um, Max from Heart to Heart was cast as the coroner? Oh, Lionel Stander. Um, okay. Lionel Stander. He could have said, I don't care what they say. He was murdered. And it was Gorgeous. <laughs> I think that's your best impression. You know, that's the one. When you go on the road, you should lead with that impression when you're on stage. That's that's your that's your A plus material there. Well, thank you. I think, unless that means that the other ones suck. No, no, no. They're all good. I mean, yeah, you know. But the problem is, you're getting to be like Vaughn Meter. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, once these guys die, you know, the impression yeah. of kind of, you know, losing. What am I going to do? What yeah. am I going to do when Lionel Standard dies? I guess I'm washed up. I'm never going to make any money from this. Well, don't worry about that. That day's way in the future. You don't have to worry about that. So Okay. So anyway, yeah. what would happen is then eventually, oh, and then Sam, the he was like uh, the Asian guy who worked with him that was his assistant right. who was very smart and would be kind of support system for Quincy. These other guys pushing back, but Sam would listen to him and do what he said. And anyway, the, the two of them together, usually Quincy through his like basically self-policing, would, would solve the crime. And then they, at the end of the show, uh, they'd all meet up at this uh, bar and restaurant called Danny's, kind of a dark lounge, and they'd sit in a circular booth and have drinks and laugh. The show kind of was groundbreaking because it was one of the first shows that didn't just lay out this. It was formulaic, but it, instead of laying out just evidence uh, like, you know, a police show where it was just, I don't know, black and white and uncomplicated, they, they had some fairly sophisticated forensics going on. It was considered to be a precursor of dramas like CSI or yeah. NCIS. I didn't think about that, Jordan. but yeah, I think you're exactly right. Yeah, and so um, it was, it, and then later, in later years, what they did was they um, took on social causes. So Klugman himself testified, uh, they did an episode on orphan drugs. I'm not even sure what that is. I think it has to do with drugs that aren't properly licensed or something like that, or maybe I'm, I don't know. Somebody's going right. to write in and say I'm an idiot, and I'd say, well, you're right, but so what? Uh, but anyway, they did one on drunk driving, handguns, airline safety, autism, Tourette's syndrome, anorexia, uh, and of course, the number one problem in society was tackled on the show Quincy. And then I'm talking, of course, about punk rock music. Oh, and yeah, if you 
go on YouTube. Yeah. This is my favorite episode. I remember this vividly. It's called Next Stop Nowhere, December of 1982. Quincy... investigates the death of a young man at a punk rock concert after slam dancing. Turns out the cause of death was an ice pick to the back. Ouch. That's not good. Wow. But uh, in order to um, investigate, Quincy and his then wife, Anita Gillette, who I'll tell you about in a minute, Yeah. Uh, meaning wife on the show. Uh, actually, I don't think they were married on the show at that time yet. They did get married later. But anyway, they go to the club to see this band, and they're singing this punk rock song, Next stop, nowhere. And it's really like dark. They got, you know, the mohawks and, and uh, makeup and everything. And there's people are slam dancing, punching each other, uh, flying all over the place in this dark club. And Quincy's walking around in a suit carrying a cup of coffee. And, uh, <laughs> oh, God, now I got to see that. That's funny. And then he sits down and he's looking at these people and shaking his head. And, and uh, she goes, you ought to get out there and dance. He's like, I have no intention of doing that. And so they, the whole show is like a moral morality play about the dangers of punk rock music. And if well, I may... It should have... But well, the only danger was the ice pick. It had nothing to do with yeah. punk rock music. Everything would have been fine if it wasn't for the ice pick in the yeah, back. Yeah, exactly. But here's the problem. I mean, this is how they, he distilled down the problem. And he, I, may I do a little recitation, a, a line or two from the show... Uh, is that what Jack told us that the problem of punk rock music I, is? I would feel cheated if you didn't. Go ahead. Okay. I believe the music I heard is a killer. It's a killer of hope, a killer of spirit. The music I heard said life was cheap and that murder and suicide was okay, but it's not. Okay. That's good. So, Very good. Yeah. Right. So anyway, punk rock, uh, if you're going to watch one Quincy episode, uh, from the latter years, I would say watch Next Stop Nowhere, December 1982. So, uh, so let me ask you a couple questions real quick. Uh, whatever happened to Willie Ames and, and Adam Rich and, and Susan Richardson? Oh, wait. No, we're doing Quincy. Oh, so- No, I thought we were doing I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, I tell you, that's embarrassing. But I think I, you know, I had, I had some backup material here. No, you did. Yeah. No, you, it was like it, it was like when the Cubs had Larry Bittner on the bench. You Bill Buckner, came, but Bittner comes in and damn it, he gets a hit, you know. Yeah. So great job. Good it wasn't job. quite like when Greg Gross hit the pinch homer for the first time after he had never hit a home run in his career. But it was it was like late inning Bittner. You're right. So we're all good. Right. We're on, all we're right. On. All right. Here, here's the final question. You, you're uh, you're Herman Franks, and uh, it's bottom of the ninth. You got you're looking at the bench. Do you go with Greg Gross or Gene Kleins? I'm thinking I'm going to get a Mick Kelleher to lay down a bunt. How about that? <laughs> Mick, Kelleher. <laughs> Mick Kelleher. Now there's a guy who never hit a homer. Did you know that he never hit a homer? I did not know that. See, yeah, yeah, I thought the show was going to go by without us learning something. And now, we, <laughs> by God, you've covered the basis for us. All right. Now, I, I'm going to I'm really I'm really going to put you to the test right now because I'd like you to finish the show. Not as Harry Carey, but let's go way back. Why don't you finish the show as Lawrence Welk? <clears throat> and the one and the two. A wonderful, wonderful. The show was great. And if we learn one thing is that we'll see you next week unless I'm murdered. And this is Jim, back with the corrections. We have a lot of them, but they'll go pretty quick. Frankie Yankovic was the polka king of America. 
Originally, he was from Cleveland. Robert Young passed away in 1998. W.C. Handy wrote St. Louis Blues in 1914. So that's a tune that's definitely in the public domain. Thomas Noguchi. He was the coroner to the stars. He was the chief medical examiner in Los Angeles from 1967 to 1982. Lionel Stander, who Max. Max and Hot Hot. He passed away in 1994. Jill St. John and Robert Wagner are still married. Eva Marie Saint is married as well. She's been married for a while, but not to anybody famous. And orphan drugs. And this is the one I had to do a little bit of research on. Those are drugs that are used to to go ahead and cure and treat illnesses that are very unusual, generally illnesses that only affect less than 200,000 people. I guess that's where they get the name orphan drugs. There you go. There are the corrections. We thank you again for listening. We'll see you next time. So long.